spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. My lungs are aching for air. This and other top stories on this week's all-new Tater Tot-inspired episode of Max Mike Movies. We are deep, deep, deep into pudding pops and fruit by the foot as we relive our sordid childhoods in this new series, When We With Kids. We look over the deep divide of time at films that made our geeky hearts beat like thunder and decide if that thunder was misplaced or as sharp as cheese. Did you take my wacky packs? Uh-uh. It did. Billy did. I hate Billy. No, I don't know get Billy. that guy. <laughs> after, after recess. <laughs> okay. This week's choice is a film that may well have fallen fully through the cracks. 1969's nearly unheard of Captain Nemo and the Underwater City. This is my choice, a film I not only remember seeing, but remember liking. It's also the movie that inspired this whole series, but who the hell am I? Why, I am your skipper of cinema, Mike Luce, and that over there is the first mate of the first-rate Max Levine. How are you, little buddy? <laughs> I'm fine. Where do you want these coconuts? Bonk! Ow! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this one was a uh, this was a tough one. It's never really been released on disc. It's from Warner's print-on-demand service and can only now be streamed from services like YouTube or that big book company that sells everything online that I'm not going to name. And even then, you'd have to actually have heard about it to see it. And even yeah. then, <laughs> well, let's get going. <laughs> but. As you well know, we have business to take care of first, which includes it telling is. you the obvious, which is stuff you probably already know that we may be found on the podcast app of your choice. Be we are masters Google of the obvious. Apple. Yes. I, you know, I want to say some days I'm even a mistress. <laughs> no, I never. <laughs> no, Hello. No. <clears throat> Let's go back to Cubby. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we are on, on, on those podcast apps, Google and or Apples. You can find us on Spotify. If you're into social media, please, by all means, follow us on Facebook or um, Twitter, <clears throat> if you would like to twit. And, of course, you can find our amazing collection of back-issue goodies at MaxMikeMovies.com. Never mind the fact that you can leave comments there. You can comment without purpose directly to us at us at maxmikemovies.com. They will be read. Yes, we can promise they will be read. Yep. After that, well... <laughs> so, um... The show. Captain Nemo in the Underwater City. Now, Max, you've never seen this, right? I, in fact, had never heard of this before you brought <laughs> it up. I have no... Okay, I don't know. I, I was in love with this film when I was a kid, but uh, it was... Yeah, let's get to trivia, shall you? Shall we? Shall you? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, won't you? Yeah, thank you. Hello. Let's get trivial. All right, so the budget for this movie was $1.5 million. They were wrong. And, and that's it. Seriously, oh. I looked through IMDb, Wikipedia, I searched <laughs> for articles, and there was really not much of anything. There's no they other claim, trivia about this movie. Nope. They claim that this was based on Jules Verne, but it might really have been James Verne, the CPA from Nebraska, who first coined the term belly button lint. <laughs> I thought it might just be Hey Verne. Yeah, know? yeah, you know, Verne. Uh, yeah, I was surprised. Like, I have never come across a movie about so which so little is known. Like, I don't know if it was a hit. I'm betting not. Uh, I have no idea. 
like what it was up nothing nothing there was like three bits of trivia on imdb and they all had to do with three of the actors two of whom had not been actually cast in the film it's like hey you know honor blackman was almost in this film okay you're you're not telling me anything about the movie hey you know okay but what about oh never mind they're literally three things that's it yeah and even the 1.5 million for the budget they said is estimated so we seriously don't know wow um, actors in this, Chuck Connors is probably best known for The Rifleman and other Western fare of B-movie status and B-TV status. Robert Ryan did a bunch of war movies that were fairly well known, yeah. um, although his parts were not the big ones. Um, a lot of the other actors in this were famous for British things, mostly TV, but really this was not a big three-star, four-star, not two-star effort. <laughs> so... <laughs> But it still has a plot, and I went thusly. There are some people on a sailing ship somewhere in the middle of the 19th century caught in a storm. Alas, uh, excuse me, doomed. excuse me, I have to interrupt. I don't believe they were in the middle of the 19th century. They were, in fact, in the middle of the ocean. Which was uh, in the middle of the 19th Atlantic, century. probably. In this case, it was, in fact, in the middle of the 19th century. Fair enough. Caught in a storm. Alas... <laughs> Alakaday, their ship is doomed and down they go. No, really, down, like <laughs> drowned. But past the last minute, some actual deep sea divers come across them, shove a mouthpiece, mouthpiece down their gullets, and suddenly their lungs are no longer aching Aching for, for air. air. <laughs> <laughs> Seems they've been rescued by none other than Captain Nemo and his magic submarine. He just happened to be submarining about in this very place at this very time, and so by pure chance managed to save these six people, the millionaire and his wife. No, 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 no wait. <laughs> Nemo takes them to his fabulous underwater salad uh, city, where he says they'll spend the rest of their lives. Some of the castaways are less than interested in this invitation to salty boredom and spend their time trying to get off the island, uh, out from under the out of the city, while others cannot picture not staying in this underwater paradise made of small models and stock footage. Amidst this thrilling conflict, there is also the giant sea monster, Mobula. There's a subchase and a small cat and so much more. But let us, shall we? Won't you? The Lowdown. So, uh, lately, uh, and, and to be fair, this is, uh, I'm going to blame this on the Bond films and, well, me. Uh, we've been doing a thing where we kind of go through the film minute by minute, picking things apart. Um, and one of our recent commenters, a uh, Haley Kinge, which is an odd way to spell mm. that, but whatever. Your weird yeah, name? It was spelled that way. French, is very, it? Not, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very observant. Um, thought that, you know, maybe a little less of that and a little bit more about the movie. So uh, I have some topics we can talk about, but we also will have our notes where we can say things like, hey, the movie starts off with toy boat, toy, toy boat, boat, toy, toy boat. boat. <laughs> I'm afraid the opening shot, just because the coloring <laughs> and the, all I could think was... The weather started getting off. The tiny <laughs> ship was tossed. And to be fair, this film was made in a post-Gilligan world. So <laughs> a post post-Gilligan apocalypse, yes. Yeah. So overall, $1.5 million. Um, I'm not entirely sure where it was sent. So you could say, I think it's fairly safe to say, Max, you may agree with me in this. This is a cheap, cheap movie. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. How and of course, I keep thinking. So, what you're saying is, when these people wake up in the bottom of the ocean, they're all finding Nemo. 
Um, that would be a copyright infringement, and I'm going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> well, that's fair. Good night. So, uh, this film was was made in the... Uh, so I, one thing I would point out about our series so far is that up until now, we've remained firmly planted in 1968. Thankfully, we've finally <laughs> broken out to 1969. Yeah, we've got However, a whole year. <laughs> I, don't know if you've no, I don't know if you've noticed this, but for some reason, all of the films that we have discussed so far, and we're halfway through the series, are British. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So well, I don't know what that means, if anything. They did a lot this, of kids' movies. I don't know. I Well, I'm going to say that The Yellow Submarine is not supposed to be a kids' movie. Oliver, I think you could argue, is not supposed to be a kids' movie, even though well, it's... I would, well, I would say that's more of a kids' movie because the main character is a kid. I would say it's a family movie. Yeah. Which is not yeah. necessarily the same. True. Um, I actually don't know how kids would have reacted to that. Again, we talked about how weird that the juxtaposition of happy singing and, oh gosh, I think I'll just chew my own leg off. Is, <laughs> but, you know, that's that's Dickens. That's Dickens. That, oh, that Charlie. <laughs> now, Max, you, you uh, streamed this, right? Uh, I actually rented it from Amazon, yeah. Yeah, so I actually own this because I, uh, so the, the the Warner thing, let me just let people know, uh, it's an interesting experiment. I honestly don't know how much longer it's going to last, but there's a bunch of films in the archive, which apparently is owned by uh, Warner and includes MGM films as well, where um, there are lesser known films, um, which is a nice way of saying <laughs> that you don't know any of these films, that for some reason people like me might actually want to own a copy because they're not going to bother releasing them, so you can actually contact contact them and they will print you a disc and send it to you which is what Ooh, i did does this count as advertising for them they owe us money send us money <laughs> you know is wouldn't it be cool if advertising worked that way if yeah, you just decided it? to say something about somebody they had to pay you yep that uh, that you mean it doesn't hmm, Dang. Uh, hmm, hmm. <laughs> so uh this did include an extra there was a trailer on this and wow. this this film was billed as a kids matinee film, which is how I saw it. That I can see, yeah. Um, it came out in December of 69. I was going to say, I don't remember being four. I would have bet five. And sure enough, I probably saw it sometime in the spring of, of 1970. Um, which dates me, but whatever. I actually even remember the kid I went with. I went with a, a childhood friend's name is Jason. And uh, I adored this film. And I think it was the toys. Because there are some... <laughs> kind of cool toys in here, but they're pretty obviously toys. Yeah, yeah, a lot, to a lot of models. But this was sort of very... I, I don't expect anyone to go out and watch this movie. I don't know why we're doing a show about it in that case, but there you go. So, as usual, so you don't have to. As a warning, yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I remember loving it as a kid. I want to say that I saw it more than once in the theater. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, I know I saw it at the Waltham Cinema, which is long gone. The Waltham Cinema was, shall we say, not a first-run movie house. <laughs> no, kind of an also-ran movie house. Yeah, usually it waited for films to do their business, uh, so to Ew. speak. Ew. And, <laughs> and then... Then well, they the showed it? Yuck! <laughs> Might have been more interesting. Oops, <laughs> oops, getting ahead. No, mm. they would wait, and then uh, when the film had run its course uh, in the big theaters, then the second-run houses for a buck and a half, actually back then it would have been a buck and a quarter, um, would get a hold of these prints and show them. And, you know, I, quite honestly, I, I remember being at least somewhat popular, and it did show up on UHF, I think, twice. Um <laughs> And then literally just disappeared. Like, I, for years and years and years, I could find absolutely no way to watch this film, which should have told me something, but yeah, there you yeah. go. 
We all have these things that we like when our kids. But it is also a film made in a different time for children in a very different way. This, like we discussed at the very end of um, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, is a film where the kids are there, but they are very much not the central characters. This is an adult-based children's film, which is sort of weird these days, but not yeah. so much. But, uh, you know, Max, what, what kind of notes did you have that don't necessarily involve totally ripping this movie to shreds? Because oh, I don't know how you um, liked the film, but I can guess. Um, okay, look, the... Uh... <laughs> This is clearly a movie you're not supposed to think too hard about. Oh, no. Oh, I mean, God, there are no. so many things that just leapt out at me. First of all, when, uh, so, yeah, there is an, uh, by the way, we know ex- almost within four years when this movie is happening. Right. It's happening sometime between 1861 and 1865, because Nemo specifically says to Chuck Connors character, who is a senator, apparently, that no yeah. one's heard of, that America is involved in a civil war. That kind of that kind of nails the time frame. So yeah, and if I may, if I interject, war, good God, y'all, what is it good for? <laughs> Say it again. Well, I, absolutely nothing. Yeah. <clears throat> you forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is taking place. Yeah, yeah it the takes place war. then. Uh, <laughs> first of all, when the uh, so they fall off the ship in this this odd ragtag bunch of white people. <laughs> By the way, you notice that. Uh, there's a distinct monochromatic nature to the <laughs> underwater city, which is a supposed yeah. utopia that Captain Nemo has made out of his followers, whatever that means. Captain, yeah. Which is interesting because Captain Nemo, originally in Jules Verne, is supposed to be Indian. Yeah. yeah. Hey, he shows up as an Indian once. Yes, in, in a League of Extraordinary <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. Well, the actor playing him was trying to be Indian if he wasn't, but you know. But, uh, I mean, he—he's no—he's no, he's no uh, James Mason, but then again, he is. <laughs> yes, that's right. I'm James Mason, and I'm from New <laughs> Delhi. <laughs> yeah, Namaste, the... or whatever. Pass the scotch. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, James. <laughs> yeah. So but, it's uh, very, yeah. I, so I want to yes, say literally, the, there is there's not even a person of color in the background. No, this nobody. is as white as it gets. This uh, again, very English, very white, yeah. uh, and of course with the. Uh, Chuck Connors is the token American. It's, I believe they hired him for the chin. Don't they? <laughs> yeah, that is one mighty chin. But yeah, they fall. There's a storm. They sink, and then they are rescued by the sparkliest scuba divers I've ever seen. Why, yeah, I. Why were they all? And by the way, we <laughs> see these scuba. We see scuba suits later. That, that none of them were sparkly. Were they no. these guys vampires or something? I don't know, but I, I did think that Nemo kind of looked like the underwater Elvis, but, you know. <laughs> oh, I thought, uh, what's his name? Uh, who, who's Joab? A, no, not Joab. Uh, oh, God. Lomax. I thought he, he at one point, is wearing, I swear, a, an El, a white Elvis jumpsuit. Does Lomax, in fact, have a brother named Zamot? He no, should. No, no. That's Tomax. But <laughs> oh, yes, sorry. Yes, and they're, they're the head of the Crimson Guard for Cobra. Uh, of that would have been more interesting. But when <laughs> Hammer die, Anvil die. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh that was way too deep, even for this film. Yeah, which pretty takes much. place in the deep. Yep, yep. Yes, they're taken down. The basic premise, as Mike has summarized, is 
the legendary Captain Nemo, who apparently is a known figure, so this is supposed must have happened after the events of Twenty Thousand Leagues. Well, now it, had, I have to stop had, you there wait, because wait, wait, I read. Wait, wait. No, 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 no. I read somewhere that this is supposed to be a prequel. What? I because but he they know who he is. Started, I know. <laughs> okay, please. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Good lord. Not to, mention, not to mention the fact that the styles of uh, ships that you see in the in the, at least the Disney version of Twenty Thousand Leagues are much older than mid nineteenth century. James Verne. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's a CPA. Anyway, yeah, go ahead, yeah. I'm sorry. And it turns out that Captain Nemo has built an underwater domed city where the Gungans live, apparently. And uh, <laughs> yeah, now, it's to supposed fair, to be this a came parrot. well before this came well before Gungans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So maybe Gangnam style. Uh, he, he, so he's got uh, this alleged paradise, which I am sorry. To me, I first I looked at it, I thought, oh, is Vol somewhere around here? Because it looks like a Star Trek episode. Everyone is wearing, apparently, and I don't know what it was about the 60s and the 70s. When you run into a paradise, everyone is dressed in togas. Well, the, the, the swimming costumes are... Um interesting yeah yeah most but, of them yeah. are swimming around in skirts yeah I mean, the boys the yes. girls had this little sort of one piece with a little skirt or if you're a baby you don't have to wear anything because yeah. it was a close-up of a naked kid doing nothing yeah like, why is this here anyway anyway um so yeah there's a utopian actually that brought me to one of my little topics if uh if i might introduce sure that. go ahead so uh, utopia uh, besides the fact that this is the whitest utopia <laughs> ever, um, would you say that this was one? We don't know. We see very little of the actual society. You know, I mean, they make a big deal out of the fact that their machine that also that provides them magically with air and fresh water also as a byproduct extracts gold from the seawater, which is and, which you can do, by the way. There and, is a and, certain and amount of too, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a certain amount of gold in all seawater, just not you know tiny, tiny amounts. And so you know, go. It, it's one of those classic science science fiction utopia tropes. Oh, this is just worthless gold. Take as much yeah. as you like. It's like you know diamonds in uh, Catwoman on the Moon or what have you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's a parallel. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, it, and, but there's no sense of is there money? Do they have? Any kind of rules of commerce? Is everything free? And if so, how the heck does that work? Uh, well, what do well, they uh, do? Uh, I mean, apart from well, you know, farm, what do they do there? What kind well, of a society it seems, is it? We don't know. It seems we don't know, but we can make some inferences based on the incredibly sketchy information that we're given, and that is that it seems like everybody has a place. Everyone has a job, and they're looking to expand. So there's going to be even more jobs coming. the uh, The big question I have is. Where'd they get all the people? Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of these It's just people... a throwaway. It's just a right. throwaway. Nemo says, my followers wanted to bring their families. What do you mean followers? Were you a priest? Did you... <laughs> There's no explanation. And boy, they had a lot of followers, apparently. Well, because you have to figure, right, that a good chunk of these people... Anybody, I would say, at least under 10... You might even be able to go under 20 was born here. Because the time it would take in the 1860s, or I should say the middle of the 19th century, to make this thing, assuming you even had the technology to do it, they don't. Um, oh, Nemo such- does. Nemo has magic tech. He has, <laughs> when you see somebody is using a TIG welder underwater, 
those didn't exist for a hundred years. They've got that. He's got a nuclear-powered submarine. We don't know that it's nuclear. We know that for the first movie, but we we know that there was a massive that they did something that set off an explosion that mutated Mobula or whatever his name was, Mothra, which suggested they were using some radioactive materials. Yeah, sadly, Mobula looks very much like a cast-off Rodan suit that they made flap underwater. Yeah, I think it's supposed to look like a manta ray. Yeah. Which, as it turns out, actually do attack people, because uh, you know the that Australian guy. That was a stingray. Um, that's different. Okay, not, not much. Yeah, no, it really is. Mantas are almost completely harmless. They they can't hurt. Well, they you. don't have a stinger. They don't have stingers. Just, they don't have teeth. Well, they're they just sort of bump really... into you. <laughs> See? See? Horribly violent pumps of the uh, deep. <laughs> so if this show has warned you against anything, it's against manta ray punk squads. Okay, so. The feeling I get that we're supposed to see it, I think this is that we're getting at that towards that point where people who make children films basically decide that kids don't think, which will translate later in like to the late 20th century that um, adults don't think either. Yeah. But I think the idea is that, hey, the ocean's got everything we need. We can farm what we need. We can build somehow 10,000 fathoms. If I remember correctly, a fathom is seven feet. No, I actually looked this up. He says our city is 10,000 fathoms beneath the sea. A fathom is six feet. There are 60,000 feet, feet, which is (laughs) 11.4 miles. To give you some some idea, the (laughs) bottom of the Marianas Trench, the deepest point known in the ocean, is about 6.8 miles. And you know, Paul, if you want to be that deep, you don't need a pressure suit. Oh, you can apparently just wear a not. Mask. <laughs> yeah, you can just go out there in a scuba suit. You know, never mind that you'd be crushed like an empty can of Pringles. Yeah, I think my favorite part was that we're pretending that we can't actually see the ocean surface <laughs> yes. about five feet above <laughs> the heads of the divers, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the idea that they're trying to put forth here is that the idea of a utopia is a place that is constantly growing and that is using is working with nature and that if man provides nature provides now i am really adding about 60 pages to the script because none of that's said but i think that's the idea now my question is this type of utopia if it's an actual utopia can you have that without a benevolent dictator (laughs) Oh wow, sure that's some seri- that's a serious question. You could have had a council. They could have had some kind of uh, representational government. Because obviously we don't. Yeah, no, no. It's very clear. Captain Nemo is in charge, and the only the only thing that keeps him from being basically a king is he has no wife and he has no children, so he has no heirs. He has the uh, Joab, which yeah. is a name they made up from the because it sounded vaguely biblical. Yeah, that that he's clearly sort of anointing as his successor. Maybe it's Jonah and Moab. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But uh, no, they, they, there's no sense of how the government works other than Captain Nemo is in absolute control. He is a completely totalitarian dictator. The and yeah. the idea of this sort of a utopia is it can. It's also one of the big things is it's completely self sufficient. It doesn't. Right. It doesn't require any kind of any kind of uh, interaction with other nations. That's a big thing in utopias, Is right. at least in fiction, is they are always self-sustaining, self-reliant, and completely cut off. You get this with Shangri-La, Atlantis, all this, all, the, all that stuff. Yeah. And you have to wonder, would that actually work? Because there's also the thing, so 
you have a remarkably limited gene pool. <laughs> yeah, things are going to get ugly real quick. That place is going to be hillbilly central in a few generations. <laughs> Well, and here's the other thing. Even if Captain Emo has got this amazing magic tech that yeah. he somehow has, which is, to be fair, pretty concurrent with the book and the the move, the other movie, because um, he was supposed to be way ahead of his time. If you go into uh, the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he's invented the car. I don't remember. Yeah. How, I mean, the car he's got in that thing is fantastic. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's basically this gigantic silver Rolls Royce, except it's like yeah. 30 feet long. And six wheels. Yeah. Um Who's going to be doing any research that might advance them? Because without that, at some point, that underwater city is going to be way behind, and they're yeah. going to be found out. And it's like, oh, look, the Victorians are still here. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, whatever. So, as a utopia, it's fairly one-dimensional. It's I think it's also fairly safe yeah. to say that a utopia, by saying self-sufficient, you're basically saying we are going to lock ourselves into one mode of thought and nothing else. Yeah. Because that's it. And I don't think you can have that kind of utopia without somebody, one person pretty much pulling the strings or a very small council of like-minded, all of which, believe it or not, does have something to do with this movie. Because <laughs> this movie, in a way, is trying to tackle some big topics, right? Because this is 1969. Kinda. And I don't, well, It doesn't tackle maybe. anything for very long. Everything or, it brings up, it goes for like a scene, maybe two, and then nothing. It yeah. hints at stuff. There's no substance here. I mean, and again, there are so many things that make you, you're just not supposed to pay attention. When the kid, when, when the adorable Moppet, uh, Philip, Bernie, whatever Phillip. his name Phillip. is. Philip. <laughs> Philip. Philip J. Fry. When he, <laughs> he has a kitten. When, he, when they're Timothy. about to go overboard, he stuffs the kitten in a box, which he puts under Which's his shirt. <laughs> A metal box that seals perfectly. Yeah, which is sealed, and then they fall into the water and are in the water for several minutes, and then eventually he opens the box, and the kitten is like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Never mind that it's alive. That kitten would be exploding. You know, a cat becomes like a claymore mine if you lock it in a box. Just <laughs> <It's laughs> I don't care how adorable it was. That that Right there, I was like, okay. And then you, every character is a cliché. Except I have to say, kind of a lot. the mother is, isn't because she's actually. Well, I mean, she's she starts out as one cliche, the sort of uh, you know English English mummy worried about her child. Then we find out she's a single mom who's had to work on her own, which is kind of striking for a '60s movie. Mm -hmm. And she actually knows stuff, right? Like she challenges she challenges Captain Nemo on a few things, and it turns out she's right. Yeah, that sadly she, she doesn't win. <laughs> no, she, they of course just dismiss it as, as oh well, huh? isn't isn't that cute? The woman actually had a point. <laughs> and I mean, that's I'm over. surprised somebody just doesn't walk up and go, a woman? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh god. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the misogyny is um, on display. <laughs> yes, and I still what what is with the names? You know, the the uh, the love triangle interest for Chuck Connors and Moab is Mala. Which, yeah. wasn't she a character from Planet of the Apes or something? No, but she was in Thunderball. Ah, uh, oh, sure. that That's my next step. <laughs> yeah. It's connected. That took place, a lot of it, underwater. I swear, after she's talking to Chuck Connors for like two minutes, I was waiting for her to say, Kiss? What is kiss? Show me kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the women in this film are not given a lot to do. Um, 
I will say that they could have made things a lot more sexy. For all, oh, it's a kids' film, yeah. and they don't do that. But that's like a pretty much faint praise. Yeah. Um, but they do mention war, and there's a big discussion because the senator, who actually seems like a pretty decent guy, yeah. he's actually trying to stop some gun running to the states for the war between the states to try and get this whole thing stopped. Yeah, it's not like uh, he's or, trying to cut off arms to the south or the north. No. He just, because these um, weapons merchants are selling to both sides, he says, it's just going to escalate. The weapons are going to get more powerful. It's going to get more dangerous and more people are going to die. I want to stop it going to both sides. And sadly, um, Nemo comes back with a pretty good point, which is, yeah. how is anyone going to learn anything from that? Uh, uh, and he uh, says, do you uh, think it'll make oh, a difference? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think it'll make a difference? And I'm like... Well, it does for about 40 years, and then we kind of start doing it on a bigger scale. Yeah. So, but it's, I thought it was actually mildly interesting mm-hmm. that they were trying to talk a little bit about some current events in a Hollywood fashion in the middle of a kids' movie from 1969. And obviously, the movie in this case, we're supposed to side with Nemo and be very lift leaning, although, quite honestly, Nemo's not exactly a very sympathetic character, and he's often very grouchy. And quite honestly, when you first meet him, the overdubbing and his performance are so bad that I'm like, oh, wow, he gets a little better, but... Yeah, he's not really a villain. You can't. It's hard to call him no. a villain. No. Uh, he, he's, he, is, he is a dictator, but he genuinely cares about his people, and he has a dream, and he wants to make it happen, and it's not just for himself. He believes he has can, a dream. He, he has a dream. dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 that's actually kind of interesting because the movie presents Nemo as a quote unquote hip thinking kind of guy for the '60s. Hey, war is bad. I want peace. I want people to have something to do and you know not think about fighting with each other. But on the other hand, he's keeping these people prisoner. Yeah. So it's not at all a a morally clear side and then on the other side you've got chuck connors who turns out to actually be a pretty decent guy and he's like i want to get back and do my job so it's like who are we rooting for and of course what ends up happening is they split the group yeah we've got one crazy person who's like i can't stand in closed places and it's like go stand in the town square i really honestly don't think anybody felt claustrophobic in a town square (laughs) regardless of the bubble above you because that bubble as we saw was about 10 stories tall it was pretty big, so, but he might have, people do freak out if they are being underwater. Yeah, well, and it, as it turns out, 11 miles. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I don't know what yeah. they made. That bubble must have been made out of super hardium or something. Yeah, yeah, ultra-trickium. Yeah. So, but so there is this weird sort of, do we root for the castaways or do we root for Nemo? And we end up with both. Yeah. Because we got... One crazy person who dies on screen in a Freight children's movie, kind of perfect little moment where he's trapped inside a basically a walled off room with a window so we can all see him drown. And um, we get the Laurel and Hardy, not even, it's more like Oscar and Felix. Yeah, we, t- yeah, we haven't talked about them, the comic relief villains, the Bath Brothers, <laughs> Barnaby and Swallow. Yeah. Which and they, that- they are, those <laughs> guys must be the most incompetent criminals of all time. And Barnaby, they're trying to make him like a manipulator who plays mind games and tries to turn everybody. And all yeah. it makes me it made me do is think these are quite possibly the stupidest people who've ever lived. Because yeah. he's so obvious about it. 
Yeah, and they just like every time they come across gold, which is used honestly for everything from toenail clippers <laughs> to uh, gears, which makes yeah. no sense. No. They're like trying to stuff it in their pockets and, you know, in front of people like <laughs> Joab and the guards, like, hey, you're not seeing me do this, are you? And it's like, uh. Yeah, I these guys must be the worst pickpockets ever. Uh, yeah, so. And, and that was an odd thing because one of them sort of has a change of heart. Swallow, yes. the younger one. Start saying he likes it there and he wants to stay there, and then the next scene it's like that never happened. Well, it even never the same comes scene up his again. Brother says his brother, assuming it's his brother, I guess yeah. they're, they're brothers. They say they are, but like um, you didn't have the same mom. <laughs> um, says you know you don't really think that, and he goes, oh no, maybe I don't. Like, and you can tell he's always done what is actually he even says I've always yeah. done what you told me to do, but they're there just to go boink and woo woo. And that kind of thing. Yeah, they're, they're there to to try to shove the plot along. Yeah, so they end up being the the machination behind the escape plot to get Chuck Connors back to wherever he's going, so he can chuck on somebody. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's got he's got rifle manning to do. But what ends up happening is we lose the crazy person. Yeah, and then the uh, cra- the 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 dynamic duo there, the 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 masters of mirth. Uh, find out, hey, behind this giant sign that says nobody comes in here. It's li- <laughs> it is literally a sign that says forbidden area. Yeah. And Mo- Joab points at the sign and says forbidden, pointing at forbidden, moves it to area and says area <laughs> and says this is a forbidden area. In case any of the audience, which is probably my age, can't read. Uh-huh. Yeah, all I could think is we will march into the Forbidden Zone. (laughs) Yeah, Jerry. Because it is ape law. (laughs) (laughs) So later, uh, when the crazy person tries to escape by um, causing. I'm not sure what his plan was. Like, ah, I'll let all the water into this room and drown my way out. (laughs) Hey, it worked. It got them down there, right? (laughs) They all drowned. And yeah. So they, after the the little destructive scene, the, the two go into the forbidden area and find out that the giant secret of the film is that there's not one Nautilus, but two Nautili. There's a a new (laughs) version and they can use this to escape, but they know they can't do it alone for stuff and reasons, uh, which I think are their surnames. Yep. But, um, they, they try, they know that, uh, Senator Connors there wants to get back to the surface. So enlist his aid and probably the only slightly clever part of the film, um, because they figure, you know, he, is somebody that has been garnering trust, uh, who's actually stood up for himself, shown he's a man of honor, etc., etc., and whom, for some reason, Captain Nemo seems no reason not to train in how to use the sub. So uh, then there's this love triangle. So Joab is going after what I assume is Nemo's daughter, but it's never really. They said. never said. We never see that Nemo but has any family. It kind of feels that way. I, I didn't even get that. Says, sen- I didn't get that sense at all. I did because he says you're going to take over for me, and he mentions it in the same sentence when he says you're going to marry Mala. So I, I think she's supposed to be. They just may have cut that part out of the film. Maybe. But uh, so that we up, we end up with this little jealousy thing going on. So Joab, who has been utterly, utterly faithful to Nemo, suddenly says, "Hey, you know, if I help these guys escape and take a sum and cause some sort of." chaos uh i could be in charge of this whole thing and i could uh, you know get get rid of this competition yeah get rid of get rid of chuck connors because i could never match that chin yeah but he that's okay he'll pay (laughs) um so yeah um 
there's there's some attempt at some larger themes here things like social issues and war is bad and utopia and but stuff like that i don't i don't they, see it as deep at all they just throw it in there so that the parents uh, can feel good about the fact that they sat through the movie with their kid it's almost like they had somebody competent writing the outline but not somebody competent writing the script yeah because the idea i won't say it's particularly brilliant but it could have no. worked it could have been interesting yeah absolutely yeah. and the whole thing with mobula with the yeah. fact that there has to be a monster, which I still which, think they they said, oh, well, there was a giant squid in the original movie. We got to have a monster here. Uh, pfft, ah, what the heck? Let's uh, use some kind of Godzilla ripoff. And and I, it really does. Actually, it looks like a cross between a Rodan costume and a um, smog monster costume. I it's, it's not. I, I, as a kid, I think I was scared, but I was five, um, which you know, at that point in 1970, it wasn't really hard to scare me. Um, and speaking of which, between then and now, I would say that a lot has changed in in children's films, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. So, um, if you were to compare this, like if they were going to do this today, how do you think they would change it? Oh boy! Well, there'd be a lot more slapstick. <laughs> Yeah, people would break more things. Uh, there wouldn't just be one monster; there would be an army of evil guys, and the kid would somehow save them all. Or and he'd have a larger part. Oh, a kid would have a much bigger part. I think he literally has like ten lines through the whole film. It's yeah. amazing. I totally didn't remember that, but it was amazing how little he had. To he do. does very little, and the adults would be much more cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there would be far more wacky sidekicks. But, yeah, there would probably be something like some sort of undersea sidekick, like yeah, you know, but a talking Be- starfish the, or you know. Beppo the Super Seal or something. Uh, <laughs> he was a monkey, streaky. and you know it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's no streaky, but then oh. again, who is? Um, I also wonder if they would even bother with trying to talk about issues or the idea of utopia or just I don't know. Yeah, they might. They do try to bring in some of those things. You know, kids are. Very aware of their world these days. Yeah, you know, Spy Kids and its treaties on, on uh, mental illness was really quite uh, inspiring. <laughs> but hey, Spy Kids actually talks deals about or talks about people dealing with disabilities. It oh, talks, does it? I've actually never seen it. Yeah, that, well, that was the second or third one. I, I ended up my oh. uh, a, a young relative of mine was very into them, so I went and saw. I think the for all three of them. Is that your excuse, Max? Really? That's what you're going to hinge this on? Yeah, quite honestly, yeah, because I was not a big fan. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, first of all, they all have... Oh, Lord, I'm blanking on his name. Isn't this Roberto Rodriguez? Yes, it is. So those are cool. So it's got it, Antonio Banderas <laughs> in it. It's got the, a great it, cast. And Oh, Lord. Isn't there a lot of blood and explosions in slow motion? No, because is. this is a children's movie, <laughs> and actually Rodriguez makes it a kid's movie. There's a lot yeah. of you know dumb humor about it, a lot of... You know, toilet humor. Oh, but, good. Yeah, that's what this film needed. Toilet humor. Where do you flush the underwater sea? That's actually a point. We never find out anything about the sewage system. Uh, yes. It just goes up. Up. Because it all floats. <laughs> so above the underwater city, it's this ever-growing reef of... Um, oh. <laughs> oh! That's it. Danny Trejo. That's who I was trying to think of. He, oh, oh, oh. He's in the oh Spy Oh my god, kids. he's in a children's movie? He's in several, and he's great. <gasps> In fact, he plays Uncle Machete. <laughs> That's his name. thing to do. That is his name, Uncle Machete, and he's great. <laughs> uh, 
Well, one of the things that has not changed about things for kids and be it, I think, be it movies or literature. And I know, Max, this is this is sort of a, a subject that's you've talked about to me anyway, and is sort of dear to you. And that the idea that stuff for kids does not have to be written down. Yeah, it does not have to be stupid. So some of your favorite children's literature that would be a good example of this might include Mary Poppins, Winnie the Pooh. If you read that, the writing is actually surprisingly subtly complex. Uh, uh, any of the uh, half magic books, who was that? Uh, Enid Blyton, I think, or Edward Eager. Uh, these are good stories. They're clever. Hell, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. That could almost, that almost works as a kid's book. I read that when I was about 11. Well, Scout and was it Jim? Yep. Are the really. It's the at least for the movie. I haven't read the book, but the movie is really the world through their eyes. It's like, the book is first person. It's told from Jeb from oh, uh, Scout? Scout's per- perspective. Okay, there you go. Yeah. And, hey, if you missed that episode, if you dial it back, we actually did uh, To Kill a Mockingbird quite yeah. a long time ago. So, but, yep. yep. No. So good children's stuff does not have to be stupid. It can. I mean, hell, look at early Pixar. Hmm. I mean, you look at the first Finding Nemo and Toy Story. These some of these deal with some pretty serious stuff, and they don't yep. dumb it down, and they don't they don't pull punches, and they don't fart. <laughs> they do not. They do not. I, uh, no, I don't think they do. I was just trying to think of a fish. You would have all sorts of fun Bubbles. with that, but no, I don't think yeah. so. Well, I would, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree. I mean, I don't. I'm not nearly as well read as Max in any decade of his life. Mm. Um, I didn't really. I mean, the books that I remember reading when I was a kid are things like the Three Seated Spaceship, which I yeah, or the Spaceship Under the Apple Tree, um, the Littles, um, and I'd probably go back and find out that these things are not as well written as they could be. These are all I thought, the, I thought the Littles was supposed to be pretty good. I don't remember. It was a whole series, but just because it's for somebody younger does not mean that you don't have to know how to write. And um, that's that's definitely uh, true of, I would say, of films as well. And the ones that tend to last are ones that tend to treat their subjects just as seriously as it's for adults, which may be why this film was relegated <laughs> to the Warner Archive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I also noticed when, I, I couldn't help not thinking when uh, Chuck Connors and the others escape, and eventually only Chuck Connors and the uh, and Swallow, the slightly less unpleasant of the bad guy brothers, <laughs> escape. The the yeah. Barnaby, the real bad guy, uh, basically says, "I'd like one ironic death, please." And of course, he's weighed down by his treasure and drowns. Well, sadly, it's not even that. Huh? So he's coming up out. Of, so okay, so there's a big sub chase at the end, which I remember as a child being really exciting, and as adult. Managed to stay awake for. Yes. Um, it's one toy chasing another toy in an aquarium. <laughs> but uh, finally, uh, we find out at literally the last second, Nemo says, oh, they shouldn't take that sub. There's a fault in the engine that we just found out about yesterday. Yeah, uh, like literally five minutes ago, we found out that it'll blow up if you run it too hot. Yeah, and so, of course, you know, even though he knows how to run the submarine, uh, Chuck Connors, uh, uh, Senator What's-His-Name, goes as fast as he can to get away from the underwater city. That being said, the engine does, in fact, burst into flame. (laughs) Yep. Like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, a British film from not long ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are forced to try and flee for their lives. Thankfully, even at 
10,000 fathoms, they have <laughs> plenty of time to get to the surface and don't have to worry about things that the bends are being crushed. But anyway, what happens is he's uh, Barnaby has covered himself in, and he looks like he's he's just been to Mardi Gras, is what it looks like. <laughs> Wearing beads all over the place, yep. Yeah, and he comes up um, out of the top porthole, and it, the chain catches on his mouthpiece. It oh, pulls it out of his mouth, and he dies. Yeah, like it. <laughs> yeah, because apparently underwater. Yeah, just like when they started the film, no mouthpiece equals dead, and mouthpiece equals alive, even if you've drowned. Well, he doesn't even try to put it back. It just comes out and he dies. And then he just goes to the ground and we see him dead. And then the brother comes up and uh, he and Chuck Connors make it to the surface. And thankfully, there's a uh, a schooner of some sort two or three miles away. And they see them yep. waving in the middle of the ocean. So they rescue them. And turns out that Swallow still has this gold ladle in his jacket. And Chuck Connors gives him a look and he goes, ah, oh, what can you do? And tosses it over board yeah like why except i could sort of see it because he'd have to explain where he got it because who uh, the, first why? off who make because who makes a ladle out of solid gold uh it's gold you can melt it who'll care <laughs> i didn't i never i remember that that one scene i definitely remember from a kid i do remember although it wasn't true that the ladle sort of spins down through the water in front of the underwater city, but it doesn't. We no. just see the underwater city again. Yeah. But uh, we assume that that Chuck Connors goes off to stop stops the civil war by himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, that chin. Yeah. Because yeah. there's that's a lot of chin. My chin commands and you to stand down. I noticed also, um, Swallow wasn't real sad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, my brother's dead. Huh? How about that? What can you do? Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and of course, Chuck Connors. I'm sorry, the senator leaves a letter behind. For Nemo, most of which I don't remember because all I could think while they're while Nemo's reading it <laughs> is the, the the sequence from "It Conquered the World." You know, he forgot that man is a feeling <laughs> creature. Is <laughs> a bad science fiction movie with Peter Graves and Lee Mar and uh, oh, who was? Oh. It was uh, Lee Van Cleef. Thank you. I know it was a three name guy. And I was going to say Peter Lee Graves. <laughs> I said Peter Graves, who attended the University uh, of Minnesota. <laughs> I'm Peter on biography. Uh, yeah, yeah. So for me, I thought what happened was that before he left, being a man of honor, that Chuck Connors' character, Senator What's-His-Name, decided to write the end of the film and leave the <laughs> final page so that it could be read yeah. as we watched the characters die and or escape. Um, and it's, that kind of, being said, it's also kind of a sequel thing. Because he's saying, I hope we well, can meet again someday. Like The implication is maybe he'll come back once he single-handedly stopped the Civil War. So now here's the thing. I remember seeing this film, as I said, I remember seeing it more than once. And even though it came out like 10 years after the Disney film, like, uh, you know, that they're really jumping right on the on the track for that. Um, and I know that the, the Disney one was very successful. Um, that there was another movie that came out not too long after this, which traded on the name, but was in no way connected to this. Oh, was that the Mysterious Island? 
Yes. And I remember being incredibly disappointed as a kid because I'm like, oh boy, there's another Captain Nemo and subs and cool stuff. There's no subs. There's no Captain Nemo. Uh. It is an island that has, if I remember correctly, is best known because it has a giant crab. Which, <laughs> when I say giant crab, I what I mean is I think it's Ray Harrahausen. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. No, I don't mean him. It was one of his. Oh, oh, things. oh. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I heard he was a very nice man. Yeah, I'm Ray Harryhausen. Gah, gah, I'll get you with my claws. Yeah. What a brilliant impersonation. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, um, I think that one of the things, too, is safe to say, is that besides kids' films having changed, I want to say kids have changed. Um, there's a lot about this film I don't think would hold up, the pacing being one of them. Yeah, the pacing is very it's, slow. It's an English film. Yeah, yeah, and we talked about English genre films in last week's episode. Yeah. Um, again, I remember the toys. I remember the sequences. These are the things that I definitely remember. I remember every scene with the subs in it. Uh-huh. I remember the scenes uh, with Mobula. I rem- remember the scene of the ladle spinning down into the water, although I misremember it going over in, uh, the, the underwater city. And I remember the scenes of the underwater city, and I remember the kids swimming. And doing his little contest, because the kid has a little contest to show that... It actually, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting way to show that the kid is like, no, no, I'm staying down here and I'm cool with it. He says to, to his mom, but they stay. That's the yeah. other half of the group. The mom who um, <clears throat> Captain Nemo is macking on, and I swear she's the age of his daughter. Uh, yuck. Well, um, she, she, is, she is a mother. She's had children. But yeah, yeah no, but, it's, it's pretty clear they're setting up some sort of romantic tension. Uh, by the way, I don't think you mean macking on. Don't I? I think macking actually means like making out with. I thought it was what you did to make out with somebody. I don't. Hey, write us and tell us. Yeah, let us know. Come on, we're old. There must be some younger people out there. Must know. But uh, yeah, no. There's very much a sort of. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I got an underwater city. (laughs) (laughs) I've got two submarines. Want to see my two submarines? (laughs) Oh, sure. He only had the one head and the two arms, and he calls himself Phil. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah. Um. They uh, they decide to stay. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the kid like doesn't even have to think twice. I mean, for him, it's like um, there's all of these kids my age. They all and like I can go me. swimming whenever I want. Uh, yeah, uh, the school doesn't seem to be too hard, mostly because we never actually see him in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I get to keep my cat, which will be great for another eight years until it dies, and it's the only cat underwater. Yeah, there's um, that, and uh, there's no way they can get that cat uh, neutered. Well, it wouldn't matter. It's, it's too young. Yeah, but this means yeah. this cat's going to go around spraying everything in an <laughs> enclosed city with well, a recycled fair. air supply. <laughs> <laughs> that whole so city is going to stink in like five years. <laughs> the proper name for this film is Captain Water, Captain Nemo and the Underwater Cat Box. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, oh, yeah, Timothy. That, that was the other cat, shot, cat moment that really kind of got me. They're having the big feast, you know, at the old country buffet of, of the underwater city. <laughs> can't have a lobster. <laughs> Put an entire <laughs> shell in a shell lobster down on the floor for the cat. I'm going, what is the cat supposed to do with this? Oh, yeah, it's like, meow, can I have a nutcracker, please? Meow. <laughs> and some thumbs. <laughs> That's okay. Later, we we pan again to the cat, and it's licking the, the froth off of a shamrock shake. So I don't know what that was supposed to be. Cats love seaweed. Mm-mm. Yep. Yep. That's gonna be yeah. it. I would say that any of the the concepts uh, introduced at any given moment of this film were not thought of at all. No, they were um, not thought of. Beyond. It's like, 
oh, this is an interesting, yeah, let's do this. This is a fun idea. They'll like that. Yeah, yeah but shouldn't we think about, no, we're not going to think it through at all. No. How are the doors I, opening by themselves? Has he invented hydraulics also? Has he invented well, Star Trek doors? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I just, besides the fact that I think kids have changed, I mean, the ways that kids have changed, obviously their attention spans not what it used to be. Because again, I saw this film more than once and loved it. And now it was just like, in this series, I'm like, oh good, a film under two hours. Yeah. It didn't feel that way. <laughs> no, no, it did not. I mean, even the potentially the slowest of the films that we've watched so far, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, didn't feel this slow. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, kids have, their attention spans wouldn't put up with this. I, if you put this on in front of a kid today, nope, wouldn't stay put. Yeah, not they'd at all. leave the room. Or they'd just yeah. sit there with their phone. Also, I just don't think there's anything, like the kids in this film are all in the background. And even though Jeremy and Jemima were not central characters. They were there. They were very present. Yeah. And they had agency. You know, they did, they tried to do things. And remember what I what I said was most memorable to me was the subs and the underwater city. So like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was far more of a character than, yeah. um, well, half of the cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, uh, and I, I wish I could have found out if this was successful because again they traded on the name to make Mysterious Island, a film that had absolutely nothing to do with this, and you know people like me were horribly disappointed because we kept waiting for Captain Nemo and not mm. getting it. So I. Uh, I'm not even sure how you would... I think you'd just throw the whole thing out. I'm not even sure you could adapt Jules Verne. Maybe you could, but it wouldn't It wouldn't be Jules Verne. Well, they tried it with the time machine. Oh, that was H.G. Wells, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, I don't know, yeah, Jules Verne, British I mean... Man. Well, Around the World in 80 Days, that was kind of cute with the one with Rex Harrison, I think it was. Uh, it wasn't Rex Harrison. Uh, that was Dr. Doolittle. Right. Um... Or Master of the World with Vincent Price. Yeah, I remember oh yeah. watching that. That's not a kids' film, but I remember watching that. Um, I don't know. It would. It would be a. It would be a toughie. Oh, it was David but, Niven. Uh, excuse me. Okay. Yeah. And, that, yeah. That makes Jules sense. Verne. I don't think. Well, he wasn't writing children's books. He thought he was writing for adults. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, you know that doesn't mean you can't adapt something yeah. like that and and have kids watch it. I mean, I remember my mother reading Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea to us when I, when we were kids. I don't think we got through it. We went on to Wind in the Willows. I remember that. There's another good example of of well written children's. Oh yeah, Wind in the Willows. Wind sure. Willows, so that was. I remember re when, when I came across Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and I was like, "Wow, is that that's really deep, isn't it?" I mean, and some a league. Then someone said, "Yeah, a league is three miles." I'm going, wait a minute, yeah. 60,000 miles, That's you're through the planet and out the other side. Then yeah, I found out it was about the distance traveled. It's like, right, oh, lateral, yeah. that makes, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I, I remember, yeah. oh, God, they did a terrible Saturday Night Live sketch. Oh, uh, who was it? Uh, Kelsey Grammer was the host, and they were doing... Uh, sort of a redo of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Kelsey Grammer was pretending to be James Mason. Somebody was pretending to be Kirk Douglas. And everybody except Captain Nemo is getting that wrong. Like, how deep are we? We must be at least 20,000 leagues down. <laughs> it's like, that. no, that's impossible. It's just referring to the... And they won't believe him. <laughs> all like, all like we, well, has, we've sunk almost 20,000 leagues beneath the sea. That's not what it means. <laughs> it, it was funny for about 30 seconds, but they, you know, stretched it out to three and a half minutes. 
Well, that's just what Saturday Night Live does. Yeah, yeah. So, and speaking of stretching things out, I think we've stretched <laughs> this out enough. Unless you've got any final no. notes you'd like to get in there before we tell people what I we like. I just wonder why everything was so darn sparkly, and what was with Chuck Connors' silver lame lapels? I, you know, I just wanted him to pick up a guitar and just start singing. Serious? I was sitting there going, "Come on, man, do some glam rock. Give me some Ziggy Stardust." <laughs> no, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so um, I think we should move into the final phase. The roundup. The big question, uh, the big question to me is, well, you saw that you loved this as a kid. How's it hold up? Not at all. Yeah, I kind of got that feeling. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it was the toys. You know, the subs, yeah. the underwater city. That was exciting. Uh, I like the dinnerware. Yeah, they very nice. <laughs> they were the uh, goblets learned... were really pretty. I thought, wow, those are nice. I wonder if you can buy those anywhere. They were bedazzled and everything. They were. Um, there, I, as a kid, I learned to be very patient because I had a sister who took ballet lessons. Oh. And so while my sister was in ballet lessons, I used to get dragged to things like fabric stores and women's clothing stores. So I learned to keep myself amused and to be very patient. And I think that helped me get through this <laughs> Yeah, it's I, if you have not seen this, and I'm guessing absolutely nobody who listens to our show has even heard of this yes, movie. Seriously, if you guys have, any of you have seen this movie, please let let us know. I would love to find out. Yeah, I'm betting nobody has. Um, don't feel the need. Uh, it's it's slow. It, the, the special effects are really not very special. I remember them as being really cool because I think there's a certain age at which you'll believe anything, and I was under that age. Yeah. Um, the acting ranges from eh to adequate. I don't think anybody does a particularly bad job, but there's certainly no standouts. No, that's no, um, not particularly good. I, well, it's all very workmanlike. I believe the cat. <laughs> <laughs> the cat was convincing. Timothy, yeah. So, you know, it is not a film that I'm going to continue to hold dearly in my heart. Um, it is. There was one other lost film I finally got to see. It was a science fiction film called Gog. Did you ever see that one, Max? No. I don't think I've even heard of that. Gog was about this robot that goes crazy in this underground base, and it has all these different, it has like six different arms. And uh, I remember as a kid thinking it was really cool, and it too disappeared until I finally saw it somewhere online. And it's like, oh, that's why, because yeah, not not good. Uh, but Max, you'd never heard of this. You're forced to see it. I'm guessing that you are going to be the counter to my point, <laughs> and say how much you found this film to be a fascinating look. No, no, what is it? <laughs> um. Well, again, it wasn't offensive. It was just no. very dull. Uh, there was really... It was like, well, this is a thing. Uh, it, uh, some interesting ideas that didn't go anywhere. Some really boring performances, but not not bad enough to be funny. And uh, a lot of it felt like a Star Trek episode. With those words to recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say I'd recommend it. Yeah, the best thing he can say about this film is it didn't offend anybody. Yeah, pretty much. Well, it didn't women hurt or people of any color than white. Yeah, that's true. Then, it didn't physically hurt anyone, as far as I no. know. No. So, although this was the the impetus for this particular series, it's uh, I'm going to say the first of our films that really does not hold up. Yeah, I'm afraid so. At all. <laughs> so, hey, what might be a film that could hold up? Well, I'm hoping it'll be next week's entry. I haven't seen in a long time the Jack Lemon Tony Curtis uh, comedy 
The Great Race. Hey, did you look ahead and see what year it came out? I didn't. Um, because I have this bad feeling. Oh, that please gonna... don't let it be 1968. <laughs> Can we get out of this 60s, uh, please? Uh, of course, to be fair, it has a lot to do with our age, right? Yeah. Because, oh dear. Um, nope. Six, is it not? It's oh, it's 1965. Yeah, we're going backwards, ladies and gentlemen. Back <laughs> well, into the golden era. No, no. So, hey, Natalie Wood's in it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, next week, the Great Race, which, if I'm not mistaken, will be the longest film so far I in this series. I think so. I think it's two hours, 40 minutes. Yeah. So. Hey, I bet there's a, as inter- hey, if you're looking forward to the intermission as much as I am, <laughs> tune in next week yes, for indeed. Max Mike Movies Talks Intermissions. Yep. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. 